0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa,
1: source, Africa, amuka, na unai.
2: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa, rise and shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on the frequencies 7230 kHz, on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on double one nine two five kilohertz on the 19-meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Moussa, Tabiso Lohoko, and Figile In our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa, Ethiopia and Eritrea declared their state of war over. Libyan authorities agree to stop detaining African migrants and Zimbabwe's electoral body makes final preparations for elections. In economics news, McKinsey apologizes for overcharging South Africa's power utility ESCOM and in sports news, neighbors Belgium and France battle for place in World Cup final. But first up, the news with Anne Moussa.
3: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. South Sudan's Opposition Alliance has rejected a proposed peace deal that was unveiled in Uganda, arguing that the pact does not address the suffering of the people of South Sudan. The non-member South Sudan Opposition Alliance says the Nteba proposal does not address the root causes of the ongoing conflict, lacks inclusivity and is a repeat of the shattered 2015 peace agreement. The proposed agreement calls for the creation of four vice presidents with the former Deputy President Rahik Machar reinstated as first vice president. Increment of government ministries from the current 35 to 45 and increasing parliamentary seats to 550. South Sudan descended into civil war in 2013 and the conflict has created one of the fastest growing refugee crises in the world. The United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres says the sudden warming of relations between Ethiopia and Eritrea shows a new wind of hope is blowing across Africa. Guterres was speaking in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa, following a declaration by the two countries that the state of war between them is over. Eritrea, formerly a province of Ethiopia, had waged a 30-year war for independence. Relations soured and around 80,000 people died in a war between the years of 1998 and 2000. Guterres says he believes the need for UN sanctions against Eritrea should no longer exist
4: the UN is ready to do whatever the two parties will ask us to do. It is obvious that it's now for the two parties to decide how they want to conduct the solution of their problems, but the UN will be entirely at their disposal to do whatever is necessary to facilitate the success, namely in relation to questions related to the border.
3: The Zimbabwe Electoral Commission is making final preparations for the 30th of July polls with a total of 5.69 million people registered to vote. The chairperson Priscilla Chikumba addressed a news conference in the capital, Harare. The commission will recruit about 130,000 officers from public institutions for the polling. Extra polling stations will also be introduced to decongest voting points. Simon Muchema reports.
5: Preparations for the July 30th polls are at an advanced stage now in Zimbabwe. The election body, Zimbabwe Electoral Commission ZEC is advised on monday in the capital harare zek announced the introduction of extra polling stations in areas where few polling stations were established while the constituencies had more registered voters according to zek ten thousand nine hundred and eighty five polling stations have been established in one thousand nine hundred and fifty eight wards countrywide this is in accordance with the new electoral law that was amended recently to accommodate such changes.
3: The Nigerian army has released 183 children after clearing them of any ties to Boko Haram. The children aged between 7 and 18 were released in Maiduguri, the capital of northeast Borno state, after being detained and investigated for any links with the jihadist. The UN Children's Fund UNICEF has welcomed the release. UNICEF representative in Nigeria, Mohammed Fall, says they will be working with the Borno State Ministry of Women Affairs and Social Development and partners to provide the children with all the assistance they need. Children have been targeted by the militant group who recruits boys and girls and indoctrinate them in order to replenish their ranks. In April, UNICEF said over 1,000 miners had been abducted since 2013. And finally, divers are preparing to resume a high-risk rescue operation to free the last five members of a group who became trapped in a vast cave system in Northern Thailand last month. The health of the four boys in the football coach is said to be good as they prepare to be guided through the narrow flooded passages of the complex. Eight boys have been brought out of the caves over the past two days. The operation inside the Tham Luang Caves has attracted global attention. The group became trapped on the 23rd of last month after heavy rains caused flooding. They were found last week by And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa,
1: Zorza. Africa, amuka na
2: Let's go back in time to today in 1991, Boris Yeltsin took the oath of office as the first elected president of the Russian Republic. That's today in history in 1991. The United Nations and the African Union say they are ready to assist Ethiopia and Eritrea forge peace. The historic deal comes as the AU and UN are meeting in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Kaleza Wanjohi reports.
6: After 20 years, this visit by Ethiopia's new Prime Minister, Abi Ahmed, to Eritrea is being seen as a historic turning point. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres is in Ethiopia for the AU-UN annual conference. He says the UN is ready to assist. Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, explains this.
4: It is obvious that it's now for the two parties to decide how they want to conduct the solution of their problems, but the UN will be entirely at their disposal to do whatever is necessary to facilitate the success of uh, 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 what uh, needs to be done, and namely in relation to questions uh, related to the borders.
6: Eritrea seceded from Ethiopia in 1993, but five years later they fought a devastating war. The peace deal they signed in 2000 was not honoured. But now they have signed a Joint Declaration of Peace and Friendship, which pledges to end the war and resolve border disputes. It is being welcomed by the African Union. Musafaki Muhammad, the African Union Commission Chairperson, explains.
0: Naturally, the United Nations and the African Union that were already involved in the delimitation of the borders and have done the mediation, we are ready and we are ready to support the normalization of relations between the two countries.
6: The UN says this deal won't automatically trigger an end to an international arms embargo or to previous sanctions imposed on prominent Eritreans, which includes travel bans and the freezing of assets. Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, explains this.
4: If the reasons that led to the the sanctions will no longer exist, but that of course depends on the specific nature of those sanctions, they will naturally uh, become obsolete.
6: The neighbors have agreed to resume transport, trade and telecommunication ties and will reopen embassies in both countries. Ethiopian Airlines says it will resume flights to Eritrea in the coming week for the first time in 20 years. Landlocked Ethiopia is also aiming to start exporting goods through a port in Eritrea. The deal includes the withdrawal of military forces from disputed areas, and both the AU and UN say the agreement is well defined and, if followed, could lead to a major reduction in tensions. Kole in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia.
2: A top official of the International Organization for Migration has returned to Geneva, Switzerland after Libyan authorities assured him that they will stop detaining illegal African immigrants arrested on the country's shores as they use Libyan territorial waters to cross the Mediterranean Sea on their way to Europe. The assurance comes shortly after IOM made a diplomatic push in Libya for the freeing of more than 300 Somalis who had been detained there for nearly a year in Tripoli. James Mangula reports.
1: International Organization for Migration, IOM spokesman Leonard Doyle says before IOM Director General William Lassiswing left Libya for Geneva, Switzerland, He was assured by Prime Minister of Libya, Fayez al Sarraj that his government had stopped detaining the so-called illegal African immigrants caught on the Libyan shores trying to cross the Mediterranean to Europe.
7: I returned from Libya with Director General Swing, who has been appealing to the Libyan authorities to stop putting migrants who have been intercepted at sea, or rescued for that matter, back into detention. And he's made a direct appeal to Prime Minister al Sarraj.
1: On his third official visit to Libya since 2016, Swing met some migrants held in detention centers by the authorities in the capital Tripoli. Doyle says IOM Chief Swing had frightening stories from detainees. One
7: after another absolutely awful personal stories of human grief in these detention centers and his call really is to not send migrants back into detention.
1: Doyle says the bulk of migration occurs in and around Tripoli, the main seat of the internationally recognized government. Ironically, more than 50 overcrowded detention centers accommodate men, women and children. Doyle says Swing has recommended to the Libyan authorities to construct separate centers for women and children. Swing's visit to Libya coincides with reports that the United Nations has tracked down more than 600,000 African immigrants in Libya, where they are detained but face kidnapping, smuggling, trafficking, sexual abuse and torture. Explaining what the Libyan authorities are planning to do any time from now, IOM spokesman Leonard Doyle had this to say.
7: The authorities are willing to speed up their repatriation. So we support them in voluntary repatriation, voluntary return, humanitarian return from Libya. Sometimes takes a while because they don't have papers, they don't have documents. The only embassies in the country really full-time are African embassies and even they are at very low capacity. We're already seeing vast improvements in many areas. The support with the Coast Guard is really impressive. Despite occasional rogue issues, there generally seems to be a desire by the Coast Guard personnel to save lives.
1: The refugee agency UNHCR has been closely monitoring the plight of migrants in Libya. Speaking from Geneva, Switzerland, UNHCR spokesman Charlie Yaxley said... The high loss of life in the Mediterranean Sea illustrates the need to strengthen search and rescue at sea.
8: key priority has to be saving lives at sea. The numbers that continue to perish at sea are a tragic and unnecessary loss of life. We urgently need mechanisms in place that prevent people from putting their lives in the hands of smugglers and taking these fatal journeys.
1: Shedding light on the role played by non-governmental organizations in the Mediterranean Sea, Yaxley said.
8: NGOs have played a critical role in search and rescue operations. Their resources and their efforts are much needed to strengthen the capacities of search and rescue at sea. And as we've seen this year, even those efforts have been insufficient. So it's really critical that any boat or any shipmaster that is in the vicinity of being able to come to the assistance of a distress call is allowed to do that. If we have the th- any threats of legal action or potential repercussions hanging over boats rescuing people at sea, then the very principle itself will potentially come under risk. see shipmasters wavering over responding to distress calls, and that's a dire situation not only for refugees and migrants, but for anybody who's in distress at sea.
1: Yaxley said last month almost 4,000 people were rescued in Libya's territorial waters, and for the fifth consecutive year, more than 1,000 people have died or are missing, while nearly 48,000 asylum seekers and immigrants have reached Europe's shores in the first six months of this year, five times lower than in 2016 when arrivals peaked in the European Union. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is James Shimaniola.
2: Today in history in 1985, bowing to pressure from irate customers, Coca-Cola Company said it would resume selling old formula Coke while continuing to sell new Coke. That's today in history in 1985. South Sudan, the world's youngest nation, turned seven yesterday. However, for most of its existence since 2011, it has been engulfed in a civil war. The United Nations has issued grim statistics indicating that out of 3.4 billion babies born in the country since its independence, 2.6 million have been born in war. Last month, President Salva Kiir and his former deputy Riek Machar agreed to a permanent ceasefire. This past weekend, an agreement on security drew the country closer to a power sharing deal and raised hopes for an end to the five year conflict. Sarah Kimani reports.
9: At a past celebration in Kenya to mark South Sudan's independence. This year, however, on Monday, Kenya home to thousands of South Sudanese refugees, was quiet. There were no festivities. The prospect of a better future following the country's independence in 2011 seems to have faded following the outbreak of conflict two years later. The United Nations Children's Agency, UNICEF, has warned that the conflict has devastated millions of children. At least 300,000 children, UNICEF says, are at risk of death due to hunger. Now, human rights groups are holding on to hope that the permanent ceasefire will hold. Saif Magongo is the Deputy Director of Amnesty International in East Africa.
10: It will be good for them to agree a deal that ends the suffering because all the human rights violations that have taken place have taken place in the context of this violence
9: the human rights group wants those who have committed atrocities in the country since the conflict broke out to be held accountable as the way to lasting peace in the country they also want the united nations to impose an arms embargo on south sudan
10: without accountability peace cannot be entrenched and sustainable in the long term. People have been killed, th- millions have been displaced, women have been raped and children's futures have been disrupted. Government forces and the rebel forces have turned their weapons on the civilians. So our argument is this, you don't need to bring in more weapons. Stop the flow of weapons into South Sudan and then you will have less risk of weapons being used or further human rights violations, more generally speaking.
9: The agreement, signed in Uganda this past weekend, sets the stage for the formation of a three-year transitional government with Dr. Machar assuming his prior position as first vice president. Sarah Kimani, Kenya.
0: Join Channel Africa on the 17th of July as we bring you a live broadcast of the Nelson Mandela Lecture by former U.S. President Barack Obama. Make a date with Channel Africa on the 17th of July as we celebrate Nelson Mandela's centenary birthday. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective.
2: South Africa's president Cyril Ramaphosa will be visiting Nigeria on Wednesday for the first time since taking over power from former president Jacob Zuma in February this year, Phil Ihaza reports from Abuja.
11: The new South African leader Cyril Ramaphosa is expected to meet his counterpart Nigeria's president Muhammadu Buhari in Abuja, Nigeria's capital. It is expected that discussions between both leaders will be aimed at bolstering economic ties among two of Africa's largest economies, despite diplomatic relations having been strained recently. In 2015, Nigeria imposed a fine of over 69 billion rand on South African telecom giant MTN over its failure to deactivate 5.1 million unregistered SIM cards. Former President Jacob Zuma visited the country in 2016 to discuss issues relating to the treatment of South African businesses in Nigeria, different positions on a number of international issues as well as complaints by Nigerian firms in South Africa on the lack of investment opportunities. Also, it is expected that both leaders will address the recent spate of xenophobic attacks against Nigerians in South Africa. According to the Senior Special Assistant to Nigeria's President on Foreign Affairs and Diaspora, Abiket W. Erewa, 117 Nigerians have been killed in South Africa between 2016 and 2018. The latest incident occurred only last week when a young Nigerian was shot dead in his home, sparking outrage among the Nigerian community in South Africa. However, some analysts argue that the discussions may be centered on the 39 trillion Ron Continental Free Trade Zone Agreement, which is still pending as Africa's two leading economies, Nigeria and South Africa, are yet to sign the agreement. It is also expected that President Muhammadu Buhari will be looking to boost trade agreements to strengthen Nigeria's economy, as well as address the issue of xenophobic attacks against its citizens in South Africa. Philly Haza, Abuja, Nigeria. Yeah.
12: Hillis Leaf Farm in northern Johannesburg, South Africa, was the farm used secretly by African National Congress activists in the 1960s and was the location where several prominent freedom fighters were arrested, leading to the Rivonia trial. Today, Liliesleaf Farm is a museum and world-famous heritage site. As part of the 100 years of Mandela celebrations, Channel Africa will be broadcasting live from the farm this coming Thursday, the 12th of July. Join us on Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time for a discussion on Mandela before his arrest. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
2: It's 8.22 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our researchers at Stellenbosch University in South Africa have found that drinking alcohol and smoking during pregnancy are more deadly than previously thought. Between 2007 and 2015, the scholars followed the drinking and smoking behavior of nearly 12,000 South African and American women during pregnancy and collated the results with their pregnancy outcomes. This is the first study to show that combining these risk factors strengthens the negative effects on stillbirth and sudden infant death syndrome. For more on this study, we are now joined on the line by Professor Hein Oudendal, one of the lead researchers from Stellenbosch University here in South Africa. Prof, thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine and good morning.
13: Hi, yes, sir. Good morning to you and good morning to everybody.
2: Prof, we already know that drinking and smoking is harmful for pregnant women and their unborn child. So what exactly makes this particular study unique?
13: It's the first time that in a prospective study that uh, it's shown that uh, there's a danger in the combined effects. So we have shown that there is a compound effect. In previous studies, it has been shown that alcohol and has a compound effect on um, preterm birth and birth weight and low birth weight but those were all retrospective studies and in this prospective study where we obtained accurate information about smoking and drinking we have shown that the combined effect is more dangerous than the single effect and is especially in the uh, heavy smokers and heavy drinkers, in uh, in uh, light smokers and light drinkers, the effects are there, but not to the extent of heavy smoking and drinking.
2: Now, Prof, how great are the risks of drinking and smoking for pregnant women?
13: You see, they they are they are risks and. Uh, if you, for example, take the, uh, the question of uh, stillbirth, it increases the risks of a stillbirth about threefold. And if it's the risk of uh, SIDS, it uh, increases the risk of SIDS 12fold. So that's an enormous increase above the normal risk we have.
2: Now, Prof. Among the twelve thousand women who participated in the study, how common was drinking and smoking?
13: Well, smoking and and uh, drinking was was uh, very common, and also the number of women who uh, continued smoking and uh, drinking throughout pregnancy. What was worrying is that about a quarter of uh, People continued drinking and smoking at a high level throughout pregnancy. So that's the main main problem that the people didn't quit. And uh, the other the other problem is that more than half of the people smoked, and about forty percent. Of people used their alcohol.
2: Now Prof, were the participants aware of the risks of smoking and drinking alcohol or were they just, did they not care?
13: Now we, we, when we started with the study, uh, we made absolutely clear that they were informed. We uh, gave them pamphlets on the dangers of smoking and drinking. We also gave them telephone numbers uh, should they need help to help them quitting. And uh, in subsequent visits, we every time encourage quitting. So they, they, we try our best to, to make people aware of the of the dangers of smoking
2: what did drinking. they say with regards to once they found out or once they um, knew um, the dangers or the risks of drinking and smoking um, um, alcohol what did they have to say about that
13: well they, they accepted the information but uh, there's a difference in sort of uh, accepting the information and uh, changing a lifestyle. Changing a lifestyle is uh, extremely important, and uh, it's also very difficult. So at our symposium, we discussed uh, future plans, how to encourage people to, to quit smoking and drinking and to support them to change their lifestyle. That's part of this service, I hope, will be introduced, because uh, it has been shown that uh, just... Telling them or advising them to quit as such is not sufficient. And I've been recently in a a service conference in Glasgow where they address different uh, quitting programs and one of them is actually an incentive to help people quitting just to show how difficult it is because uh, the the problem of of, uh, nicotine is uh, really 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 habit forming
2: now were there any differences with regards to south africans who participated and the americans who participated in the research
13: the the uh, difference was was a difference in, in in outcomes and the main difference was that when we looked at the the Americans' counterparts they they uh, stopped early they, they many of them large majority stopped when pregnancy was diagnosed, it's uh, either for drinking or for smoking. But in in our population, some quit it, but uh, others continued even at a high level.
2: So, Prof, what's the call to action with these findings? What's the way forward from there from here on? Yeah, I
13: think the way forward is is uh, it's a team effort. I think it's it's a team effort by by everybody involved. You know, I think it's it's uh, helpful to get uh, information over to the populations from from the media. It is absolutely essential that we treat healthcare workers better, how to identify the problem, and how to support, and then to have specific problems at uh, prenatal clinics to uh, to support women who is uh, trying to, to quit smoking and drinking.
2: And, Prof, uh, Prof, do you think, just very quickly, do you think that uh, there should be some sort of law um, to ensure that uh, if, if if a woman is pregnant, they uh, maybe not sold alcohol or not sold cigarettes uh, whenever they go through to the stores to buy and it becomes a legal issue? Should we should we be maybe going in that direction?
13: Yeah, I, I really don't. because we, we already have warnings on on uh, bottles of of uh, alcohol and on on packets of cigarettes about the danger of pregnancy. You yeah, know, and, and that hasn't helped very much. If I look at the number of pregnant women smoking, from the time we enforced that uh, warning on the tablets or on the cigarettes and uh, and uh, now there hasn't been a change so my own feeling is that that warning as such is not sufficient that you have to do something else and uh, i don't think it should be forced by by law because that will be difficult to enforce the law i think we remain remain it should be from the from the pregnant mother who should be informed, and children should be informed not to start smoking, and pregnant women, or, or actually also everybody to to be encouraged to stop to stop smoking.
2: Professor Ordendahl, thank you so much for joining us. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there for now. Okay, I see you. That's Professor hein Oudendal, researcher at Stellenbosch University in South Africa. It's 8.31 and our headlines up next with Anne Moussa.
3: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussan. The headlines, South Sudan's opposition alliance has rejected a proposed peace deal that was unveiled in Uganda, arguing that the pact does not address the suffering of the people of South Sudan. The United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, says the sudden warming of relations between Ethiopia and Eritrea shows a new wind of hope is blowing across Africa. And the European Parliament Chief Antonio Tajani in Libya has called for a blacklist of people smugglers to be set up to help stem the flow of migrants from Africa to Europe. Those are the stories making headlines.
2: The Zimbabwe Electoral Commission is making final preparations for the July 30th polls with a total of 5.69 million people registered to vote. ZEC Chairperson Priscilla Chigumba told a press conference in the capital, Harare, yesterday that the electoral body had set up over 10,000 polling stations across the country. She also clarified that the army will not be responsible for transportation of ballot papers as opposition political parties continue to raise concerns about the involvement of the army in the vote. Simon Machema reports from Harare.
5: Preparations for the July 30th polls are at an advanced stage now in Zimbabwe, the election body, Zimbabwe Electoral Commission, (ZEC), has advised. On Monday, in the capital, Harare, ZEC announced the introduction of extra polling stations in areas where few polling stations were established while the constituencies had more registered voters, according to ZEC. 10,985 polling stations have been established in 1,958 wards countrywide. This is in accordance with the new electoral law that was amended recently to accommodate such changes. Zek Chairperson, Justice Priscilla Chigumba, explained.
14: The commission has established a total of 10,985 polling stations throughout the country. The list of polling stations has been published in today's press, and will again be published on Holy Day. The law compels the Commission to establish adequate polling stations in each of the country's 1,985 wards, with each polling station being located at a place that is readily accessible to the public, including persons with physical disabilities. However, Section 51, Subsection 1B of the Electoral Act prohibits the establishment of polling stations in the following areas. Premises owned or occupied by a political party or candidate, or in a police station, barrack, cantonment area, or other place where police officers or members of the defense forces are permanently stationed, or premises licensed under the Liquor Act. So, we obviously can't have a look.
5: While a lot of people only refer to elections from what happens on the polling day. Zek explained the preparations for the 2018 polls started years back. However, by then, Zek had no powers to change anything in the absence of the amended law. Despite all that, pressure has been mounting from the opposition who are accusing Zek of bias. Justice Chuguba explained.
14: When we started the registration or the making of a new list with the biometric voter registration exercise we actually started with polling station mapping and i've said this before in 2016 we did polling station mapping and in 2017 we actually started registration now having done the registration and coming to the end of that process we then realized that we had some polling stations which were oversubscribed and by oversubscribed i mean certain polling stations had more than 5,000 registered voters we then made a recommendation Um, to Parliament through the Ministry of Justice to say, could we have an amendment of the law which would allow us to create sub-polling stations within those polling stations which we had already mapped in order to avoid having long, winding queues on polling day. And that amendment, you know the date when the electoral amendment bill was actually passed. It was fairly recently. It then gave us permission to say, look, you've already mapped your polling stations, but we're giving you permission to
5: create sub-polling stations. Currently, Zek is on the receiving end with opposition parties complaining of a number of irregularities which were noted as justified by the European Union Election Observer Mission last week. On the printing of ballot papers, Zek admitted there was a problem when political parties went to Fidelity printers in Harare for observations, a move not catered for in the electoral law. Zek, commissioner. Say. The, the political parties were indeed allowed to observe uh, uh, the
15: printing of the paper at fidelity printers in which uh, they saw it uh, from uh, the gallery uh, site. The requirements of uh, the printing regulations that uh, the fidelity printers are that when you uh, do the observation, you do it from a uh, printing uh, gallery. So they didn't uh, take an opportunity to, to observe uh, from that distance. But what we later then uh, heard uh, from uh, the parties that they wanted to actually be involved uh, in the process of uh, touching the ballot in the process of also getting the printing prints, uh, things that are not allowed in Kenya. Uh, we also want to uh, remind uh, uh, the people of Zimbabwe that uh, the pedagogy of uh, printing of the ballot lies uh, with uh, the <coughs> the process of allowing parties to go in and uh, observe was a way of trying to find consensus and a common ground with political parties so that we can minimize one conflict and reduce
5: did do our duty that way. We can't go beyond that. While the military revealed last week they will be transporting ballot papers, Zek dismissed the claim.
14: Who will transport ballot papers? It will certainly not be the military.
5: In Arari, Zimbabwe, Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. Africa rise and shine
0: Africa
1: zola Africa amuka na unao
0: Africa rise and shine Africa
1: africa uh,
2: this year 's Southern African transport conference being held in south africa 's capital Pretoria will focus on public transport, rural development and capacity building. The four-day conference comes as the country is facing escalating fuel prices and calls for the Road Accident Fund levy to be dropped from the petrol price. South Africans contribute one rand 93 cents to the Road Accident Fund for every 16 rand they spend on petrol. Neo Makwiting reports
16: who opened the conference has urged scientists and delegates attending the 37th Southern African Transport Conference to assist government with a viable public transport strategy. Shikunga says the ever-increasing fuel price has the potential to upset the economy.
17: The road transport sector, especially public transport, must in the short to medium term begin to explore possibilities for the promotion and use of alternative energy for public transport. Research can inform us of the integration of public transport in South Africa and what can be done to better integrate public transport. Is there a way in which we could regulate public transport fares? Are public transport operators, especially minibus operators, making any profit? How much of that profit is affected by rise in fuel prices? Are the subsidies we are dispensing making any economic sense?
16: Chikunga says the upgrading of the Muloto Road is currently underway on the Mpumalanga and Limpopo sections. This road has been dubbed the road of death and is one of the busiest routes connecting Kauteng, Mpumalanga and Limpopo. She says the delay was due to financial constraints on the Kauteng side.
17: I think a lot still needs to be done. For instance, we have not even done the environmental impact study. We still have to find the funding model for that to say how we're going to fund it because it will definitely be quite an expensive one. But we can't again construct a railway line just for the morning passenger train and the evening passenger train. You then need to say, what else can we do in order to ensure that it is a viable railway line? <clears throat> so that if it means that we have got to transport other freight from where to where and how, we need to do that. So you need all those issues taken into account so that it becomes a viable
16: railway line. On the failed e toll system and the toll levy on petrol, Shikunga says it would be unfair to charge motorists. We have never used the toll route.
17: I think it is unfair for a person who is driving on a gravel road somewhere in the rural areas to go and purchase petrol and pay for these paradise roads in Crowding. Because that person may have never used, utilized those roads. I don't think it is fair for anybody who today will not utilize the roads that are told but still pay through a petrol levy. I think it is fair that when I use the road at a particular time particularly those that are told, I then pay because on that day I have used the road.
16: Chikunga also defended the road accident fund levy charged on petrol. She says the RAF works like an insurance for motorists. For you to be at the
17: hospital, if you are dependent on life-saving machines in ICUs, if we remove road accident fund, it means somebody will have to pay. You who caused the accident, you will have to pay and not government and not road accident fund but people are saying these things without looking at the downside of what they are saying sometimes it's it's about politics but sometimes you even think that even that politics is too callous for one to even begin to think about it so in south africa with about 200 i mean 250 people dying per week about 40 people dying per day it means that none of us will own anything if you have caused any accident you'll have to compensate that person, that victim.
16: Chikunga also announced that government has temporarily put on hold its plan to construct a railway line for high-speed trains from Johannesburg to Deben.
17: The rail one, of course, we want to have a speed train from Deben to Jobeck. When is that going to happen? It's not something that is going to happen today. But I think somewhere, if we were to have it right and to get the funding, we can actually have that. So that people do not drive to deben and johannesburg Mm. they get into the train they know in two hours in three hours they will be in debit like it is happening in other parts of the world
16: chikunga says the plan which was announced during the 2010 fifa world cup will definitely be implemented in future i'm never quitting in Pretoria. this is indeed a joyous night we are delighted by the overwhelming support for the african national Congress. <laughs> to the people of south africa and the world this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit your help and a party
12: this year 2018 marks 100 years since the birth of south africa's first democratically elected president Nelson Kholilatha Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective.
2: Let's go back in time to today in 1973. The Bahamas became fully independent after three centuries of British colonial rule. That's today in history, 1973. Our economics update up next with Tavi Solohoku.
18: Thanks, Lulu, and good morning. South Africa's power utility, Eskom, says it will pursue Trillion Capital through the courts to pay back a portion of 119 million US dollars, which they received unlawfully from the power utility in 2016. Eskom has welcomed McKinsey's repayment of over 670,000 US dollars and the apology made by worldwide management consulting firm McKinsey and its global managing partner, Kevin Snedder, to. Uh, Shnada, rather to the people of South Africa on Monday, and the university at the University of Pretoria's Gordon Institute of Business Science. Eskom says apparent lapses in their governance processes, coupled with improprieties around and mismanagement of the procurement process, led to a loss of trust in ASCOM, its processes, and its people. ASCIM spokesperson Kulupasi says, since the trillion which has not been party to the settlement will be pursued for the recovery of the remainder of the payments through the legal review process together with NPA.
13: We welcome the fact that the uh, has under rising. They have apologized to South Africans. And importantly, um, they have also now made the payment of 902 million rand. So the only other party which is uh, for now at least uh, not uh, coming to the party is uh, the Trillion uh, Group. We will continue to pursue them through the courts because uh, unfortunately they have not said anything whether they are going to pay the money or not. The ESCOM has uh, made it very clear that uh, the 1.6 billion rand that was uh, paid to both McKinsey and Trillion was done so unlawfully.
18: The South African Reserve Bank says it will make retail depositors of the vendor build in society bank of VBS's priority. As the bank faces an uncertain future, the Reserve Bank says over ninety percent of VBS retail customers will receive their savings through one of the largest banks, Net Bank Branches, from july the thirty first, rather the thirteenth. In terms of the arrangement, retail depositors, who include individual stockholders and burial societies, will be able to access their savings in the VBS through a net bank account. It says business depositors are not a priority. At this point, Reserve Bank Governor Lesitja explains.
10: The process by which retail depositors may gain access to their funds will commence on Friday, 13th July 2018 and will run as follows. One. Retail depositors can visit any NetBank branch from the 13th of July 2018. Two, retail depositors will need to present their South African identity document or another accepted form of identification, for example, a South African passport and proof of address. NetBank will also use a biometric system which is linked to the Department of Home Affairs to verify retail depositors' identities.
18: South Africa's Deputy Energy Minister, Tabisila Machola, says every learner should take maths and science to avoid being limited in their career choices. She says many people are forced to take up careers they do not want because they avoided maths and science at high school. Machola was speaking at the Learner Focus Week at the University of KwaZulu-Natal in the coastal city of Durban on Monday.
14: If you don't do some of these subjects, your high horizons are, are greatly narrowed in terms of what you can do. Because even when you go into medicine, for instance, you do need some basic uh, understanding of some of these te- technical subjects. So those subjects we want, we ideally I would like to get to a point where they're not optional. They, they should be part of the uh, curriculum. Then you can have other optional subjects. In
18: American coffee company Starbucks has announced that it will start phasing out the use of plastic straws at its restaurants by 2020. The BBC's Paul Blake has the details.
8: The transition away from plastic straws is no small feat. Currently, the coffee company uses some one billion plastic straws each year. But now the company says its 28,000 locations around the world will begin offering a lid that allows users to sip directly from the cup, a design that will become the default for most of its cold drinks over the next two years. For others, a straw made of environmentally friendly materials will be made available, the company said.
18: The U.S. dollar trades at 10.11 Botswana Pula. It's at 9.71 in Zambia. In BRICS currencies, the U.S. dollar is trading at 386 Brazilian rail, at 62.71 Russian ruble, and at 68.55 Indian rupee, 661 Chinese yuan, 13.40 to the South African rand. It's also trading at 75 pence to the British pound and at 85 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,259. Platinum $852 an ounce. The price of brand crude oil $78.43 a barrel. My name is Tavis Hogw and you're listening to Channel Africa.
2: A sports update up next with Figelilingwati.
0: In our sports update we begin with football news. France coach Didier Deschamps is confident he has prepared his players for any tactical surprises. His opposite number Roberto Martinez my spring when they face Belgium in the World Cup semi-finals in Saint Petersburg today. Belgium are the tournament's top scorers, and Martinez sprang a surprise by changing his system in the quarterfinal final against Brazil, moving target man Romelu Lukaku out wide so Kevin De Brainer, could operate as a false nine with Thomas Munyan suspended for the semi-final Martinez is sure to make at least one change forward Kylian Mbappe one of France's best players in Russia was not at the first 15 minutes of training open to the media but Deschamps says he had a full squad to choose from you know?
8: No
11: of course I mean we can be proud so far I think what we performed in on in this World Cup reaching a semi-final is uh...
0: And Belgium's defender Thomas Fermilen is confident of victory against Mbappe in today's 2018 FIFA World Cup semi-final in St. Petersburg. Their splendid performance in this year's global showpiece in Russia has led the team to believe that they can go all the way. It's only the second time in World Cup history that Belgium managed to reach the last four. They finished fourth in 1986. Belgium defender Thomas Fermilen says reaching the semi-final is a big achievement no of course i mean
11: we can be proud so far i think what we performed in on in this world cup reaching a semi-final is uh is a big achievement uh, but i think we're gonna we want to go further now and, and and don't give up and i think we we have to believe in our chances
0: to to get to the final and, and eventually win it the 2-1 quarter final victory over brazil has given the belgians the belief that they can go on on to leave the trophy on the 15th of july Belgium defender Nassan Chadli says their achievements have done wonders for their confidence. For us,
10: uh, it was a, a big step to, to win against Brazil. Uh, also for our confidence and to show everybody that we could do it. Uh, because Belgium is a small country, as you know, uh, we have uh, 11 million people living there. And we are very proud of uh, what we, we can achieve and we can do as a group. And rescuers
0: working in the third phase of an operation to save four remaining Thai soccer team boys and the 25-year-old coach trapped inside a flooded Thai cave say all five will be brought out at the same time today. The Thai soccer team ventured into the Tham Luang cave complex after practice and became trapped by rising waters more than a fortnight ago. The BBC's Jonathan Haid reports.
18: A senior official from Thailand's health ministry described the health of the eight boys who've already been evacuated as good, saying they were eating soft food, were sitting up and alert. They've been kept in quarantine and monitored for possible infections. The parents of the first four have now been allowed to see them through a window. Asked about an invitation from FIFA to bring the football mad boys to Moscow for the World Cup final this Sunday, the doctors laughed and said they will need to stay in hospital for another seven days, but can watch the match on television.
0: Proteus coach Otis Gibson has urged his fast bowlers to remain positive and running hard in their first test against Sri Lanka in Gali. The Proteus wrapped up their preparation in Colombo with a drawn two-day warm-up match against a Sri Lanka board 11. The stars struggled in the warm-up with Dale Steyn, Vernon Philander and Rabada failing to get any wickets while Lungingidi took one, with the spinners taking eight wickets. Despite the spin-friendly conditions, Gibson revealed that he would like and opt for three pacemen and two spinners for the galley test. First of the two tests gets underway on Thursday at 6.30 Central African time. That's the sport news this hour.
18: Channel Africa brings you world-to-world coverage of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Finals in Russia. Visit our dedicated World Cup page on www.channelafrica.org.za for in-depth coverage which includes the previews Reviews, analysis, breaking news and a podcast of latest interviews. We will also bring you the very latest news from Russia with our Nigerian correspondent Tony Ubani and the BBC's reporters in our daily hourly sports bulletins and on the Africa at Play sports show on Friday, Saturday and Sunday from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Central African time. Channel Africa, your home of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Finals. Africa, rise and shine. Africa,
1: Tzorna. Africa, amuka na unai.
2: Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Ethiopia and Eritrea declared their state of war over Libyan authorities agree to stop detaining African migrants and Zimbabwe electoral body makes final preparations for elections. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutoramagadz and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info@channelafrica.org. at or tweet us at rise shine africa or whatsapp on 277 6300327 taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to southern africa is public's choice
19: Penitine, lift the bill for me when the sun comes on No, oh you yeah,
1: for me. Ah, yeah. uh-huh. no follow them. They complain. Make you no know, forget. Say, Baba Gode. Uh, every day is yes, a good day. Holiday from Monday to Sunday. Oh
19: yeah, they will show them problem no day. See my life today, blessings every day. And they shine so bright. If they make
0: them, they wonder why we they so composed? Anything
1: we do, we they in control. Anywhere we go, they they won't follow. And anything we touch, we they turn to go. Oh, yeah, Joe for me. I do best for her. Everyone
0: is okay. I do best for her. Oh, yeah, go I do best for her. Jack okay. My
19: brother, if I start to talk. That we know